Welcome back to a brand new season of Demand Gen Chat. A lot has changed in B2B marketing since our last season in 2022. We went from gross at all costs to do more with less to never wanting to hear the phrase do more with less again, ever again. While I'll try not to say that phrase 10 times per episode, I will be sharing the secrets to how the most successful B2B marketers are reaching their growth targets, even in 2023. I'll be joined by some of the smartest people I know in marketing who will share the secrets of what make their marketing teams successful, along with the tools, tactics, and channels that other marketers should test out for themselves. Let's get started. Welcome to a new episode of Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Tara Robertson, head of Demand Gen at Chili Piper. In this episode, I'm joined by Isaac Ware, director of Demand Gen at User Gems. User Gems actually came onto my radar last season when it came up a couple times as an under-the-radar tool that's been growing really quickly. So I was excited to chat with Isaac about what they've been doing on the marketing side to grow with a lean team and how they use User Gems data internally to power some of their marketing campaigns. He also gave us a sneak peek at how they measure their 300 one-to-one ABM campaigns. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Isaac. Isaac, so happy you could join me today. Thanks for coming on Demand and Chat. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be on, always listening to them. So it's, it's fun to be on it. Yeah, glad we could make the time. So I'd love to start with um, a marketing hot take of yours, just get right into it and see if we are on the same page about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this one, this, these, I think hot takes in marketing are always interesting because there's, they're, they're hot takes for some, but also I feel like a lot of the hot takes have just kind of devolved into something everybody agrees with and everybody's just kind of <laughs> kind of jaded around a lot of topics. So it's always a tough one, but I think one of the ones that I've been hearing most often that I also am experiencing um, is just around ABM attribution. Um, my belief is that ABM programs will always look really bad in terms of attribution. Um, and one of the problems I see with it a lot of the time is people are basing ABM spend or their programs or how they're testing things based off of the wrong attribution. If they're trying to attribute it to a specific team, whether it's sales or campaign team, or especially if you're using paid media for these ABM programs like LinkedIn, and you're trying to actually use demo requests as a metric for success on ABM programs, most of the time the campaigns will look terrible. So I, I would say a lot of the time attribution is always a hot topic, but attribution around ABM should never be used as a gauge for your only gauge for spend, basically. And I think I think one of the best examples recently that I saw of this was we're running 300 one-to-one ABM campaigns every single month. And nearly, if you looked at the metrics within LinkedIn, it never looks like a success. Um, the demo request volume just isn't there, just always looks bad. But then when you really dive into what's going on behind the scenes is when it really shines. So for us, like we just got one from one of our target accounts where the CEO told the VP of marketing to tell their demand gen person to come meet with me about our ABM program. And that kind of sparked a conversation around how we're using user gems on the ABM side of things, which was able to lead to an intro to the, I think it was a CRO or a VP of sales. So when you look at that in terms of attribution, it's it's, it's terrible. But how often that happens um, where we're either starting a conversation in LinkedIn messages or a screenshot of the ad is being sent in Slack internally and talked about internally and we have no idea what's going on on that side of things unless somebody's actively telling us, um, campaigns can look really bad. So yeah, don't, don't use traditional attribution for ABM campaigns. I love it. Yeah, I feel like ABM and attribution, both of those are hot topics separate, but when yeah. you combine them, that's definitely a touchy subject um, for some of us marketers. But I love that you mentioned how your team is using user gems. I want to get into that in a little bit because it's a tool that came up on the podcast last season 
I think at least two or three times um, from different people that are using user gems. So I'd love to dig into that. When you think of attribution and those metrics on the account-based side, what metrics should people be looking at? I know you said it's great to get those screenshots. It's great to get that kind of recognition from the prospect, but not everyone's going to be that upfront and tell you that kind of journey that they experience with your ads. So are there other metrics that people should be looking at when they're running, say, you mentioned 300 different LinkedIn campaigns? Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately, ultimately always kind of a boring answer, but it comes down to revenue. Um, demand gen should always be tied to pi- tied to pipeline and revenue. Um, so for us, mm-hmm. we're watching which of those ABX accounts are turning into revenue versus other accounts um, and using that as a gauge. Um, and it's 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 kind of the end-all, be-all metric, but um, it's the only true way to, I think, fully gauge the success in those campaigns. So to compare those two, are you saying that you have a whole set of accounts that you do not run ads against so that you can see the difference? Is that the main way you're tracking that? Uh, so we run a high volume of ABM. So eventually, mm-hmm. eventually, every single one of our target accounts will have a been ABM'd. Um, <laughs> but currently, we're we're just kind of looking at as like a, how many of these accounts we're spending on um, are actually turning into opportunities. So we have our our normal ABM, and we have more of like a customized ABM. It's a lot easier on the smaller scale to say we look at this. We're looking at how many we ABX this month. Um, how many of those turn into opportunities? When you look at it at the larger scale, we're looking sometimes even 90 days out and you're saying like how many of these mm-hmm. that have been ABX in the past 90 days have actually turned into um, opportunity or revenue. Yeah. Cool. And you, you said ABX a couple of times in there. Is that yeah. for you guys purely on the paid ad side? Are there other programs that you're running with say an outbound team? Yeah. So we run it on both. Um, and this kind of ties mm-hmm. into how we're using user gems on the ABM, ABX side of things. So the account-based everything program for us is uh, um, is really heavily marketing ADR alignment and marketing sales alignment. Um, how our ADR team is actually using this. So, I mean, if you take a, take a look at a 300 one-to-one ABM program on the paid media side of things, it's definitely a heavy lift. And we're customizing ads with logos and language and tracking job changers for those ABM ads. Um, and that's extensive. Where this really falls apart for a lot of people, though, is operationalizing this on the ADR side of things. Um, you pass over 300 target accounts every single month to an ADR team, and they have to do account research on those. It really, really falls apart. They're trying to they're trying to scrounge up one or two contacts to reach out to those, um, and, it, and it really falls apart. So, user gems what what user gems does on the ABM side of things is actually surfaces the buying committee at all those target accounts. So it's not like a data warehouse where we're pulling old data, but we actually go out every just every single month and get those fresh contacts, put them into the CRM. So all the ADRs have to do is push them into sequence and do their outbounding. So it removes that whole um, account research and contact research side of the ABM program. So it runs a lot more efficiently. And it also helps, I mean, on the on the emotional alignment side of things too, where if sales isn't frustrated with, or the ADRs aren't frustrated with marketing, because they're throwing 300 accounts at them every single month without the, the correct contacts in there. That's that's a pain point I hear all the time is, um, de- depending on the role, I mean, yeah, I'm getting these account lists, but there's no contacts in there for me to reach out to, so it's basically useless. Um, so being able to surface those is, is huge on the marketing and sales side of things. And when you say surfacing those accounts, obviously you're using user yeah. gems for that. Yeah. But I would love to dig into a little bit about who owns that on the marketing team and owns that relationship with the ADRs. Yeah. Definitely. So it's, uh, I mean, we have we have ADRs as a part of the marketing team. So Sarah is our ADR leader. 
Um, and that and that relationship is just kind of an ongoing thing between paid media and that. Luckily, though, I would say a big piece of this is the automation. I mean, you're not having to constantly reach out and contact like Sarah and be like, hey, we're running this, everything like that. Um, we just pass the accounts over. The contacts are already there for her team to run with. So we don't have to really do a ton of like in-depth collaboration. So that really helps that relationship a lot. That makes a ton of sense. And in terms of, this is one thing that I know we've talked about this internally so many times, launching those targeted accounts to cer- or certain ads to targeted accounts. Um, who within marketing owns that? Do you have like an ABM team, an ABM manager, or is that just fully owned by the paid side? Yeah. So uh, Quinn on our team manages just the ABM section. So the actual mm-hmm. creation of the ads, the the selection of those accounts, everything like that on the ABM side of things. Um, but it sits within uh, demand gen paid media. Yeah, definitely, definitely cool. a small team over at User Gems. Though I mean, it's the paid media side is is me and Quinn, and some people on that side of things actually execute the the campaign creation because creating three hundred campaigns every single month is is definitely a heavy lift. Yeah, I was really curious to hear about that because obviously we're small too, but a lot of our yeah. listeners are also on small teams. There's some even one person marketing teams. So what else? What does the rest of the marketing team look like? I know you're very focused on the paid side, but how big is the marketing team overall at User Gems? So Trinity is our VP of marketing. She handles a lot of the product stuff, but she she has her hands in everything. I mean, as, as every small small marketing team kind of has to do. Um, Dozier is on the content side of things. Um, and Amber's organic social. And then we have Quinn on the AVM side of things. But besides that, um, outside of the ADR team, which sits within marketing, um, that's about it. But it was kind of a it was kind of a dream come true marketing team coming in. Um, I came in January of last year, but we had an amazing organic social presence. We had amazing content mm. already been create been created, um, playbooks, really just like valuable content. So being able to come in from the paid media side of things, having all of that set up, um, I think is a is ideal ideal situation. I think a lot of companies rely on paid media really heavily at first and kind of neglect those. So this was this was a little bit backwards in a good way and it was it was an awesome team to jump in with yeah it sounds like a great lean team which is fun it definitely can be overwhelming sometimes but it sounds like you came in at a good time um how has it changed in the year ish i mean it's more than a year now about a year and a quarter um since you joined you mentioned it was a little bit backwards where paid wasn't a focus previous to you joining what has really changed in that time yeah, definitely. So, so when I joined, there was, um, I mean, we actually did uh, the AVM program was up before before I showed up, so it was really interesting. So the there was there was light paid media activity going on already um, with the AVM program. So I think the one of the biggest changes is kind of adding new programs, but really just really diving into paid media using UserGems data, um, which is something we hadn't really done fully. So now paid media for us is is biggest pipeline driver as as a lot of people, but um, it's also post demo request. So we're using it for paid media, um, marketing, like multi-threading of open ops mm-hmm. using user gems data, um, expansion, churn prevention. Um, so kind of helping with those renewals. So really just built out using all the data we can from user gems, piping that right into LinkedIn and, uh, kind of using our, are using our own tool to the, to the fullest. Yeah. So it sounds like kind of your secret sauce on the team is really using that data from user gems for people who aren't familiar with user gems who haven't checked it out yet what type of data are you able to surface and play around with for your paid campaigns 
So there's two main pieces of user gem. So it's that it's the job change tracking. So tra- tracking those champions, users, everything on that side. So when they get promoted or they change jobs, you can immediately go and sell to them again. Um, really valuable on the marketing side for staying in front of them, um, congratulating them on that job change um, and helping with those like social proofing, converting, reminding them of previous success. Um, but a lot of it too comes in on what we call usually like the automating multi-threading. I um, mean, it goes a lot deeper than that too. So yes, we're we're surfacing those contacts into your CRM at all your target accounts. So showing you who that buying committee as is at those accounts. Um, but we're also using that. So for example, at when an op opens up, we're using that to target multi-thread on the marketing side specific to personas. So when an opportunity opens up with user gems, we're showing that buying committee ads in marketing, sales, rev ops, telling them, hey, somebody at your team is talking with us. Do you want to join the conversation? And kind of pulling them in through marketing. Um, We're also using that for account expansion as well. So for a lot of our customers, they brought us in on sales and marketing, but churn prevention and um, reno- yeah, so renewals, churn prevention, and expansion is really important right now. So what we're doing is actually reaching out to CSMs. So we're surfacing CSMs in our CRM, pushing them right over LinkedIn, showing them ads around that use case, basically telling them, hey, you already have user gems, might as well add this in, um, especially because it's mm-hmm. such a huge pain point right now with, with churn. Yeah, I feel like churn and the cross-sell, upsell piece is something that at least marketers that I'm talking to, it wasn't a focus six months ago. And all of a sudden it's the board is asking, your execs are asking, hey, what are we doing for customer upsell? What are we doing on the retention side? So that's, it makes so much sense to be surfacing that right now to CSMs. Yeah. It's been so cool seeing that on, I mean, the marketing side, having our customers using the marketing side, but also seeing all the different ways our customers using are using that on the customer success side. And when you come across, it sounds like this opportunity, obviously, we're aligned to make sense that customer marketing is a focus. But how does the ADR team surface this type of insight to you guys? Or is it something that you're always collaborating with them so you know, okay, this new persona makes sense for us to target? Where is that kind of conversation getting started? I think it's always evolved. I mean, sales use case for user gems has always been so clear. I mean, we're kind of job change tracking and multi-threading are the two biggest um, like sales mm-hmm. playbooks. So it's been really obvious on that side. So we help operationalize that. Um, but that's just kind of naturally evolved over time where marketing, that data needs to be used on the marketing side as well, especially as people move further and further away from less important leads or M- like less important MQLs, things like that, <laughs> and more towards like a pipeline-focused marketing program, that mm-hmm. acceleration of the deal, the multi-threading on the marketing side, tracking those, the warm customers. I mean, we have to be more efficient than ever. Um, it's not like the, the good old days um, where we just throw throw a spend out on, on paid media and things would just come flying in. You have to be really intentional with who you're targeting. Um, so it made a lot of sense on that side of things. And it's also evolved with our customers as well. So, I mean, there are certain customers that are using um, that data to make their programs more efficient. So like one of, the, one of the ones like Karina from Gong uses a lot is using that champion job change as a signal for what accounts you should be targeting um, with your ABM program. So does this account have previous users at this account? If yes, then that's going to be a priority ABM account. And then again, as markets changed, customer success is is bigger than ever. Um, We actually, I believe, saw a customer success led purchase of user gems for the first time this last year. Um, which is really interesting to see where it wasn't led by sales, wasn't led for led by marketing. But I mean, churn prevention has become so important that 
customer success is really interested in spending on solving that problem. Yeah, I feel like that's a brand new, at least in my experience, a new bucket of just buyers and spend in general, the CSM customer side, because marketers and sales were used to buying tools. We have, we usually, I mean, maybe not right now, but usually we have budget, we're exploring tools, but it's a brand new persona to kind of sell into. Did you guys run into any roadblocks on that? Or is it just something that because the CSM ICP is so new for you guys, it's kind of unclear what that journey looks like? Yeah, I don't I don't think it'll be like a primary buyer like over sales or marketing ever, but I think it'll it'll start becoming more and more common as um like CFOs are pushing for churn reduction. Um I think like the more a CFO is concerned about a problem, the more likely customer success is going to start getting that budget um to solve those problems. But it's really cool to be able to buy on one team and then all of a sudden sales marketing is able to use that tool or sales buys now marketing CS is able to buy it. So we quickly become ingrained in a lot of companies across all the teams. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the one of the biggest things now is like even even on the non marketing side of things for for churn and expansion. I mean, just for customer success to know, hey, this champion just left your account. You need to go find a new champion. Or on the expansion side of things, hey, this previous user at Cisco just joined this new company. Reach out to them so you can help expand this account or add in a new champion at the account. Um, has been huge for them. So when you come across a new use case, like say, for example, someone's getting a new job or they got promoted and you want to start creating landing pages and ads around that, who comes up with that kind of messaging and offer? Is that collaboration with marketing and ADRs? Is it purely marketing kind of telling the ADRs, hey, we're doing this? Or what does that collaboration look like? Yeah, definitely definitely a lot of collaboration. I think as a small team, it's a lot less structured. Mm-hmm. Um, than some of the so the larger teams where I've referred. I mean, they they have really small pods, and this is the pod that executes this. For us, a lot of it is. I mean, I have discussions with customers and CSMs and ADRs, kind of whoever you can gather information from to include um, on that landing page is huge. Um, one of the landing pages that we built recently, though, is is really heavy on kind of building off our own data. So everybody kind of gets the gets the use use case on the user gem side of things. So just kind of try to figure out a way to communicate that more clearly show exactly how the timeline of user gems works, for instance. For at least like selfishly for my own purposes, we don't work with our ADR team too much on the creation of that offer and that landing page, but I we should, obviously. So I'm yeah. just kind of selfishly wondering how you work with them to, obviously it's not their job to write website copy, but they can have some really interesting insights sometimes. Yeah, I think ADRs, I think one of the most valuable things you can sometimes pull from them is what's working for them on the email side of things. So like mm-hmm. what outreach is working, what content, what subject lines, what what videos they're sending out are working best and kind of using that to to your own benefit on landing pages and, and similar things. So really heavily collaborative effort, um, just kind of pulling from as many different sources as you can. But yeah, for ADRs, definitely kind of looking at what's, what's working on the email side of things helps a lot. Yeah. And that makes a ton of sense because they have the volume, right? It's, yeah. They've sent this email a thousand times. So maybe they know for sure like this subject line is going to work. We should run with that on, say, paid or even on the blog somewhere else that you can put that content. I think, too, ADRs have a lot of different insights to certain industries. So sometimes you'll hear Mm -hmm. little tidbits of information during their outreach about um, what a certain company is struggling with. And you can kind of drill down into like specific industries. And a lot of that from the surface, you aren't able to tell. But when you start talking to people at the individual level, so sales and ADR, and you can really get a lot better view on what's going on within a specific industry that you might be able to help solve or a specific pain point mm-hmm. that you should be 
serving as a headline on the landing pages. So you mentioned earlier that obviously you're kind of doubling down on the CSM persona, that you're looking at cross-sell. Has there been anything that you've had to make some tough calls on cutting or pausing, especially owning paid? Obviously, there's a lot of scrutiny on budgets right now. Um, so curious if you've had to take a hard look and pause anything in the last few months. Yeah, we've been we've been really fortunate on the on the cuts side of things, um, especially on the marketing side. Um, we're we're, mm-hmm. we're fairly lean in terms of marketing tech stack. We're pretty extensive as a as a or as a whole. We're pretty extensive with our tech stack um, across all teams, but marketing specifically, we're fairly lean. Like we don't have an ABM platform, we don't use intent data, so a lot of that stuff is fairly lean for us. So the only real cut that we've had um, was like Facebook ads for us just wasn't performing at the level LinkedIn was, cut it. Um, mm-hmm. So pretty pretty minor hit on that side of things. But LinkedIn as a whole has continued to produce for us um, between ABM, Convo ads, things like that. Um, so a lot of it for us has just been getting more, just like scrutinizing spend a lot more. So like, what are we spending on? Mm-hmm. What are the campaigns doing? Um, we've been more careful around like live events, in-person events. Um, for us, we're only attending B2B MX and Saster. Um, so for us, that's that's cut down since last year. Um, but overall, no no major cuts or no major cuts to the tech stack, which has been been a huge blessing. Yeah. Cause that's that's definitely not not the not the trend right now. Yeah, it sounds like you've been lucky in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um I'm curious for LinkedIn specifically, because this is one area that I've been hearing mixed things on this, but um for combo ads and in mails, have you guys noticed? Any changes there recently or are they still performing for you? Definitely changes. Um, <laughs> that's one thing that I think is going to be like one of our one of our biggest things right now is just diversifying LinkedIn and adding mm-hmm. more channels outside of LinkedIn. So trying to find what um, exactly is going to be the next convo ads, um, whether that's highly, highly personalized stuff similar to ABM, but maybe focusing on specific industries or in-feed versions of incentivized demos, things like that. Um, that's definitely top of, top of mind for, I think this, the rest of this month, um, it's just trying to figure mm-hmm. out what, what exactly that's going to be. Cause even, even that 20 to 40% rollout or whatever LinkedIn said it was definitely, definitely impacted everybody on the combo ad side of things, especially with how many of us were relying on that for a really consistent, predictable pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of how creative we have to get. And I think every, every platform kind of goes through this evolution. I mean, I was agency before and Facebook constantly went went through these where one thing was just absolutely cranking out um, leads or, or conversions, but all of a sudden it switches 180 overnight. Now you have to go find something new. And I think I think that's a lot of what like paid media marketing is, is just be able to find whatever that next thing is, write it for as long as you can while while you're trying to add new stuff in to, to diversify for whatever it for whatever it changes inevitably next. So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. has impacted this a little bit. And when you are trying a new channel, or you mentioned moving existing ads into in feed, do you have kind of a rough formula for how much money you're willing to spend before you see results? How long do you typically give things to work? I get this question a lot. Um, and I think one of the biggest things I learned on the agency side of things is sometimes you have to go a little bit beyond what's like statistically significant. Um, mm-hmm. I saw too many campaigns get shut down because they were statistically significant where you can turn them back on, wait a little bit longer, and all of a sudden they work. Um, and I think what I chuck this up to a lot of the time is there's so many variables outside of what we can see on every single one of these platforms that makes it so statistical significance really isn't that 
significant on a lot of these platforms. So there is a little bit of a kind of a gut feeling and kind of watching the numbers day to day. Um, and when you've seen like millions and millions in spend, you can kind of get trends of like, okay, this one definitely is not going to work even before it's statistically significant. And sometimes you'll see little hints of success before something will like truly take off. I think just, I think managing a lot of spend over time um, and managing a lot of campaigns over time is, is one of the best ways to kind of, kind of get a gauge of that. Um, Cause I don't necessarily have like a specific spend level or a specific time amount. Um, you just kind of have to watch them really manually and, and, and see what's going on with those. Um, which isn't the answer people always like, but it's uh, it's one of those that's it's worked well for me. So that's that's what I lean on. Yeah, no, it makes sense that some things just come with experience, right? I mean, yeah, I love it if every A-B test we launched, we had Statsig in two days and I can promise that we'll get those results. But sometimes you just launch something and you just know this isn't this isn't going well. I can just tell in a couple of hours, yeah. but other times you have to be a little bit more patient with it. On the attribution side too, I mean, so many, so many campaigns mm-hmm. too, you, you launch them and, and they look like they're not working, but then all of a sudden you start hearing about them on calls or somebody's like screenshotting the ad, sending it to you like, this is awesome. So you know, they're impacting pipeline in some sort of way. So even if it mm-hmm. is a direct conversion, you might have to shift the goal of that specific campaign to something that's less demo request focused and more just, this is going to be a touch point in the process. People are going to see mm-hmm. it. They're not going to convert, but let's just keep it here for uh for social proof sake or education sake. Yeah. And when you come across things like that, because we see that obviously a lot with we, with our podcast, with the ads, people will kind of mention something offhand on a gong call or we'll get a screenshot. Do you have any trouble explaining that to, to your exec team or are they fully bought in that we can't measure everything and that's just part of the game now? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm very fortunate in that. Yeah, we're all, we're all bought in on that and we've all seen it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think small teams, especially your CEO is a lot more involved than a CEO at a 500, 600 plus person company. So they get a lot of those impacts that, um, somebody else would, um, especially like our VPs fully bought in on that. We see it all the time. And that's actually like one of the, one of the things we track is like the, we see you guys everywhere. Um, <laughs> because we started hearing, we started hearing that so much in gong calls. We, we, we started tracking that as one of our metrics, um, as a as an interesting way to track that, uh, whether that's organic social or paid, or we were really heavy on LinkedIn with with employee posting, um, and that comes through obviously on like the self reported attribution. Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of time you just hear that generic one in Gong, and it's kind of a it's a feel good metric, but it also means you're on the right track. And when you say you track that, do you actually have is it a checkbox? What are you tracking when you just say as that? a as a trigger in Gong? Um, so tracking mm-hmm. that phrase in Gong and, and whatever it pops up, we're, we're tracking when that happens. Um, and hopefully we can dive in deeper, um, but not always. Yeah, I feel like that's an underutilized feature of Gong. I'm sure they have tons of content around this, but there's so many triggers you can set up if you have oh, things yeah. like more on the dark social side. Like if you do a ton of LinkedIn organic, you mentioned a lot of your employees are posting. That's the kind of stuff that, again, you're not going to see it in Salesforce necessarily, but you can set up those triggers, which is really cool. And, and that one too, I mean, that's, that's something that's kind of guided a lot of our alignment within the marketing team as well. So for instance, mm. because that's one of the things we're focused on, when I launched one of our ABM programs, Amber on the organic social side of things added in an employee, an employee advocacy or an employee engagement thing around those target accounts too. So we want to make sure that yes, it's happening on paid media. They're seeing us everywhere on paid media, but also we want to see, or they, we want them to see our employees posting, commenting, liking, just really involved with their company as a whole, just so we stay top of mind. 
um, just because we see that as really valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, again, one of the benefits of a small team. It's not paid versus organic who brought in the lead or who brought in the deal. Um, but it's really you recognizing that there's going to be multiple touch points no matter what. So working together on that. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to just kind of look ahead to the future a little bit. I know it's still early in the year, um, but is there anything that your team is working on that you're excited about or maybe a new tool that you're looking into, just something coming up that is getting you really excited? I think I think one of the biggest things for us is just like how our customers and we're using it for expansion and churn reduction. I think one, that's one of the biggest things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not necessarily excited about like any specific tools or anything like that. Like we're not looking to add a bunch. We try and stay as lean as possible on the user gem side of things, but just like finding new ways to use our own data internally um, before mm-hmm. we can roll it out to our customers. I think that's really exciting. Um, that's one of the things that I'm always I'm always on hopping on sales calls um, to talk about how we're using it and kind of brainstorm with our customers about how they could possibly use it. So just kind of rolling out those as playbooks to the customers and just kind of seeing how the how the product's going to evolve over the next year. Um, it's really exciting. Yeah, I feel like playbooks use cases. Those are just, I mean, I'm seeing them everywhere now, but I love to read them off and see all the different formats that marketing teams are coming up with. It's really cool to see, especially when you have a tool that you can use yourself. That's always fun. Player, yeah. Now. Makes it makes it easy on the marketing side when when you're using it every single day. Makes it easy to talk to, messaging, everything like that. So moving on to our quick fire round, I have a couple of quick questions for you. Is there another marketer that you follow that our listeners should go check out? Yeah, um, I would say Claire from Cobalt. I think so. We just we just did a a session at B two B MX together, and it was really mm-hmm. cool seeing her approach to demand gen. Um, for us, for a lot of traditional marketers selling into sales marketing, um, it's it, we're, we're blessed with how easy it actually is. Um, and when you look at industries like cybersecurity, like Cobalt has to sell into, um, they're really skeptical buyers. They're really intentional. They're really heavy on referrals and what they've used in the past. So I think she's really interesting to listen to about their approach to marketing because I think it has a lot of rollover to selling into sales and marketing in a lot of the areas that we could we can approach differently. So, I mean, job changes are huge for her. Uh, multi-threading, getting into the, finding the warmest path into those accounts and being more intentional about marketing efforts has a lot of value on our side of things. Um, so I think it's really valuable to listen. Cool, yeah, I'll add that link into the show notes. People can check out her presentation. And what's in under the radar? Could be a channel or a new tactic that your team is really into right now. I would say job job change job change tracking multi threading. Um, sounded, sounded like a mm-hmm. broken record, but for for a lot of people that just start doing it, um, mm-hmm. being able to automate that process as much as possible is huge. Um, but again, we we have to be more efficient, and we're we're I mean, budgets getting cut, lower headcounts, things like that. Like you really have to find the warmest path into those accounts, and it's just it's such an obvious easy win. I mean, people have bought from you in the past. If you aren't systematizing that or operationalizing that. Um, it's just this massive chunk of pipeline that's just sitting there. Um, and a lot of the time, it's really sitting there waiting for your competition to swoop them up. Um, so I think getting on that as quick as possible is is a huge, huge play, especially going into 2023. Yeah, I think the competition piece there is key right now. People are hungry for sales. So they're going to swoop in yeah. if you don't. That's a good point. Yeah, we see, we see it on that side of things too. I mean, especially if your competition has user gems, it's one of those two where um, you're you're watching those those customers if they've used both products in the past and they the one switches jobs, the quickest person to act on that is usually going to be the person that wins that deal. Great. And lastly, where can we go to find out more about you? Where are you most active, Isaac? 
yeah, um, most active on LinkedIn, not as active as I wish I was. Um, this and and podcasts are usually the only only two places people see me on, on the internet. Great. Well, go follow him. Hopefully we'll encourage him to post a bit more. You have a ton of great, great insights to share. So we'd love to see you getting more active on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening to Demand Gen Chat. Demand Gen Chat is a Chili Piper podcast hosted by Tara Robertson and produced by me, Nola McCoy. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes five seconds and helps other marketers like you discover Demand Gen Chat. Also, if you'd like to have a question answered in a future episode, you can connect with Tara Robertson on LinkedIn. Send her a DM with your question and it could be answered on a future episode. Finally, if you've gotten this far and are wondering what Chili Piper even is, Chili Piper helps B2B marketers book more qualified meetings for their sales teams. You can't afford to leave opportunities on the table. So let your lead self-qualify and schedule a time with the right rep instantly. And that's just one of the many revenue impacting things that Chili Piper does. Visit chilipiper.com to learn more. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Demand Gen Chat.